At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or an electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of John. The book of John. We're going to be uh, in John chapter 13 this morning, so go ahead and turn there as I turn there myself. You know, my whole life, I have, as long as I can remember, I have been a Detroit sports fan. doesn't matter what team, Michigan Panthers, Detroit Red Wings, Detroit. It doesn't matter. If it has the name Detroit before it, I have been a fan all of my life. And there was a season of my life where um, God had us displaced from Michigan. We lived outside of Michigan for 17 years. And in that time, I still continued to be a Detroit fan. I would watch them online whenever I could or watch them on TV whenever I could. And over the years, I've had several opportunities to actually see some Detroit teams outside of Michigan. One time when we lived in Kentucky, uh, we had an opportunity to drive down to Nashville and watch uh, the Lions uh, played the Titans. And while we were there, I went to the game. I had my Detroit hat on, my Detroit shirt on, and I was a Lions fan through and through. And you know, it was a very pleasant experience. It was very nice. No one said anything mean to me, but they knew I was a Detroit fan. So whenever the Detroit Lions were doing well, I was the only one in the stands standing up and cheering. And everyone was very, very, they showed Southern hospitality. It was great. It was wonderful. It was peaceful. Then a couple years later, when we moved to Delaware, had an opportunity, Sarah and I had a chance to go up to New York City. And we went to New York City because we wanted to watch the Tigers play, the, the Yankees. And so we get to the hotel, I get my, my, my Detroit Tigers uniform on, I'm not playing, but I got my Tigers hat on, Sarah's got her Tigers gear on, and like we didn't even make it past the hotel lobby until people started like, ugh, ugh, giving us all these eye rolls and saying all these horrible things to us. And then we had to get on the subway and, and people were like, you don't get a seat, you can't sit there, you can't stand there. It's like we had the plague or something. And it was terrible, it was a terrible subway ride. We get to the game and we walk in and, and I'm overwhelmed because I've never been to Yankee Stadium before. So I'm like, wow, this is such a great place. And people are like pushing us and shoving us and getting us out of the way. And, and we go up, finally find our stands and, or seat in the stands and we're sitting there and the Tigers were on point that day. Oh, they were on point. They, uh, everything, I was like, every 10 seconds, I'm cheering, I'm standing, and people are like, boo, sit down, be quiet, get out of here. I think a couple guys even threw their beers at us. I, I don't know. Um, but we get to about the third inning of the game, and this game was like a sold-out Friday night game. I want to show you a picture. This is the third inning. <laughs> I'm not obnoxious. I just, I'm, I'm a fan, right? So there I am in my Keith jersey, with my Detroit Tigers jersey. And you can't really see it. I wish you could see, I wish the camera was, Sarah took the picture. By the third inning, there was no one around us as far as the eye could see. I, I must have been so obnoxious that they were like, I can't sit by this guy. And so this picture gives you kind of a, 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 a picture of it, a view of what was going on. We got to sit all alone for the rest of the game. And it was the most blessed time of my entire life. 
Sorry for those Yankee fans. And to go on, the actual Tigers did go on to win that game, and I was super excited by that. I bring all this up to say is that people know who you follow by what you do. Right? There was no distinction, there was no, there was no misunderstanding of who I was a fan of. Right? I w- was going into hostile territory with a Tigers stuff on, identifying myself as a Tigers fan. There was, there was no one questioning that. And they knew who I followed, and they responded to who I followed based on what I wore and what I did, and they treated me differently because of it. Last week, we started a series titled The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we've begun looking at what it means to follow Jesus as Jesus, as our trail guide, wants to help us navigate life. You and I both know that life is challenging. Life is not all rainbows and butterflies, right? Sometimes life takes us on journeys that go down dark roads. Sometimes they go down dangerous pathways. And Jesus, as our trail guide, is giving us directions of how we are to live. He's given us his word. And today, as we're continuing this series, I want us to see that in the journey of life, we can choose whom we follow. And there are three main trail guides that all life encompasses around. Either we can follow Satan, which we're going to see in the passage today. We can follow ourselves or we can follow our Savior. Those are the three three choices. We can follow Satan, we can follow ourselves, or we can follow our Savior. And what's interesting about this is that whomever we choose to be our trail guide, to be our trail leader, they're going to take us on different paths that lead to two different destinations. If we choose to follow Jesus, it's gonna lead us to salvation. It's gonna lead us to to God. If we follow Satan or if we follow ourselves, it's only gonna lead us to destruction. And so today, what I want us to see as we look at the word of God today, what we're going to learn is that the world knows who we follow by how we love one another. The world knows who we follow by how we love one another. Your life is displaying a story. Your life is telling a story. And the things that you do, the things that you buy, the places that you go, all of those things are telling the tale of who you follow. Last week, as we were looking in John chapter 13, we started as Jesus has brought all the disciples close as they're celebrating the Passover meal together. And we see that Jesus steps in and serves the disciples by washing their feet. He does this act that totally humbles himself and shows us the proper posture of a servant. That God has not called us to come in and to get accolades for ourselves or to draw much attention to ourselves, but our life is to serve others so they may meet Jesus. And now Jesus is still in the upper room, and the focus shifts slightly from talking about service to talking about love. And today as we look at this passage, we're going to see the three different trails that we can choose to follow and the three different leaders that light the way. So let's go back into the upper room now. Jesus is still there with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal. More than likely, they're in this upper room and the way that they would have the table set up is the tables would be set up kind of in a U shape. So you've got a long table this way and then two coming off the sides. 
and uh, they would recline at the table. So many times they would, the table would be in the center for the serving, and then they would kind of lay on their side, and the food would be brought to them. And so the disciples are all kind of reclining around the table, eating together. And this is the scene that we see taking place. I remember Jesus left off last week um, saying things about love and uh, following him, and he gives us some, some instance of that trouble is coming. And he says, after he says these things, this is verse 21 of chapter 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him and asked Jesus of him whom he was speaking. So the disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that it's because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to go buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So the first thing that we see at this, in this instance, the first character that we take a look at is Judas. And we learn something very important about Judas because we know whom Jesus, Judas is following. And what we learn is the self-interested follow Satan. Those that are self-interested, that are looking at themselves and looking out for themselves, really have their trail guide as Satan. And so we see that after Jesus has been washing his disciples' feet, and he's been teaching them about service, we now see that he's troubled in his spirit. What's amazing to me about Jesus is he still deeply feels He's not a God that's distant from our pain. He's not a God that doesn't know how we feel when we go through things. But we see that Jesus is deeply troubled because he knows what is about to come. Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. You and I aren't that many times that self-aware. And so when we get stabbed in the back, it comes from surprise. It comes with us being caught off guard. But we see that before it takes place, Jesus is not caught off guard. Jesus knows what has to take place as he's carrying out the will of his Father. Every step that Jesus takes is intentional and it's deliberate. Nothing ever happens haphazardly in Jesus' life. And so we see here again, he is disturbed and upset. Why? Because Jesus loved Judas. Jesus had a very tender spirit spot in his heart for Judas because he called him knowing that Judas was going to come and and live with him for these years walk with him see the miracles hear the teachings all of those things and he knew that Judas was going to betray him and every day up until this day Jesus knew it was coming but he's like it's it's off I don't have to feel the pain But now he's feeling the betrayal. He's feeling the pain, knowing that he's about to be handed over. And how do the disciples respond? Well, the disciples hear this prediction, and they begin looking around at one another suspiciously. Are you going to do it? 
Are you good? One of us is, wait a minute, how, how is this going to happen? One of us is going to betray Jesus, you know, the guy that we've walked with and we've seen him do miracles and heard his teachings and see the way that he lives. One of us is going to turn our back on him. How can it be? Who is it going to be? So lots and lots of questions. Who is he talking about? Well, Peter, being the assertive one that we see throughout Scripture, kind of motions to John, the disciple who's sitting next to Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says, hey, John, ask him who's going to be. Ask him who's going to do this so that we can, we can know who's, who's in and who's out, who's good and who's bad. And so John asked Jesus, and he says, Lord, who is it? Who is going to betray you? What's interesting about the way that this is poor playing out in the upper room is that Jesus knew what was going on. The disciples had no clue. They were unaware. And here's the scary thing. The disciples could not identify which disciple was not a true follower. They didn't know who was really a follower. They were all lived the same life with Jesus all these years. And so the scary thing, and the scary thing about this passage is even the person that seems close to the Lord may be lost. Hear that. One of these 12 men that had walked with Jesus, had talked with Jesus, had served with Jesus, had seen Jesus do these amazing things. One of these people had their heart that was very, very far from Jesus. And the disciples couldn't tell. They didn't know who it was. So now if we put ourselves in Judas's shoes, Jesus was stating that he knows What's going on? That which was done in darkness, that which was done at another time in a different place where, where Judas had promised to, to, to betray Jesus, hand him over to the religious leaders. Jesus knew that had taken place. Jesus knew what was happening. And now Judas, his sin is coming out into the light. He's caught. Jesus knows his Plan and there's no more hiding. And in this scenario, we see that Judas has a chance to confess. Judas has a chance to admit what he's done and ask for mercy. He needs to confess. He needs to own up to what he's done in order to have a chance for forgiveness. But he doesn't. Instead, he takes the bread and in that moment, Satan enters into him. I was reading some commentator this week, and he was saying, a couple commentators were saying the same thing, is that Jesus' offer of the bread was really his last offer of forgiveness. It was in that moment, in that moment, Judas needed to decide who he was really following. He needed to make a decision that was fully his, he, he's not a puppet on a string going through the motions of life. No, Judas is a man that has his own free will that has to decide. And in this moment, as Jesus is offering him the bread, he could have. He could have. So you know what, Jesus, I've I, I got to just tell you what I've done. I've got to tell you. I've got to just, i gotta, I got to get it out in the air. i got to get it out in the open. i got to tell you how I've messed up. But he doesn't. 
He chooses at that moment whom he's going to follow, and he chooses Satan. And in that moment, Satan enters him, and we see that he goes on, and Jesus tells him now, go do what you need to go do. Go, go, go do it. Because the process has already started, right? The process of Jesus' crucifixion has already started, and now we see that it's carrying, being carried out. In Judas's selfishness, he was unwilling to take the bread. He was unwilling to confess his sins. He was unwilling to turn from his sin. He was unwilling to follow Jesus. In Judas's heart, there was a deficiency. There was something deficient in his heart. Maybe he, along the way, all these years, followed Jesus just for the benefits. Maybe he's like, I, I can follow this guy. If he's going to rise up and we were going to overthrow the Roman Empire, then maybe I can have a seat at the table. Maybe somewhere along the way I will rise up and I will be a, people that, uh, a person that people fear, that people love. So maybe he was following Jesus because he thought Jesus was going to become this big political leader. We don't know. We don't necessarily know all of the motivations in Judas's heart. Maybe he followed Jesus because of the money. But what we do know is his true character was revealed in time. His true character was revealed in time. Judas's outward behavior did not match up with his self-interested heart. See, on the outside, he was a disciple, but on the inside, he was a self-interested follower of Satan. He was only worried about himself. And you have to ask yourself the question, how in the world could this be? How in the world can someone that walked with Jesus to see how he loved, to hear his words, how can he become a traitor? Well, when we look at our own lives, let's not be too quick to judge Judas. Because I've heard it often say in each one of our, our lives, there are two parts of our lives. There's the front stage life, and then there's the backstage life. Right? The, the front stage life is the, the persona or the person that we want the world to think that we really are. And so we do a lot of work on the front stage part of our life, uh, creating an a, a image of who we want people to think that we are. But then there's also a side of us that's called the backstage that's the part of who we really are, that we don't really want people to see or we don't really want people to know. So there's the front stage, the stuff that's easy, the facade, but then there's the, the real us. And in Judas' case, the front stage and the backstage of his life are getting ready to collide. Who he tried to be and who he really was are in de deep, deep conflict right now. And right now what we're going to see is that backstage, who he really was, is going to come front and center and it's going to have devastating results. It's going to be disastrous. This is when we see like scandals in the world. Right? We know and we walk through scandals every single day. We see this person fall and we see this person fall and we see this person fall. And it's when their backstage comes and takes front and center and we see who they really are that we get into trouble. But let us learn from Judas's mistake. Judas was playing the game. Judas's heart was far from Jesus. Judas was doing any, everything for himself. And you know, I don't know about your sin. 
I don't know the backstage of your life. Some of you I do. Some of you have given, given me access through our times of mentoring and through our times of talking. Some of you have done that. But for the most part, I, I can't tell what's back there. I don't know the demons that you hide. I, I don't know the things you don't want anyone to see, the insecurities. I don't know all of that. But when we keep things in the dark, know that they are, may not be known by your family and friends, but those things are known by God. I love how the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, Jesus is ready to deal with that backstage stuff. It doesn't shock him. It doesn't overwhelm him. He knows the pains that we bear. He knows the difficulties that we have. And he just wants us, just like Judas, he wants us to bring it forth and just say, Jesus, help me with this. Help me with this addiction. Help me with this appetite that I have that's leading to destruction. God, help me with this. If we take it from the back and bring it to the light and before Jesus, then he gives us an opportunity to experience forgiveness and experience healing. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. He says this, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let me, let me explain that to you. Jesus, this, in the context of that verse, what Jesus is saying is saying this stone, which builds, this, this stone is the stone that was rejected, referring to himself. Right, so he's, he's referring to himself as the stone. And he, what he's saying here is anyone who casts themselves upon the stone will be broken. So if we consider Jesus and we take ourselves and we cast ourselves upon him, we get broken. But in that broken, we find healing because he's the stone that heals us, right? He's the one that restores us. But then he gives this warning. He says, but, but don't forget, if you're unrepentant, if you're unwilling to cast yourselves upon this stone to be broken, there's coming a time where this stone will fall upon you and you will be utterly crushed. Better to be broken than to be crushed. That's the message for our church today. Better to be broken than to be crushed. Better for us while we still have breath in our lungs, while God is being gracious and merciful towards us and all the things. You have breath today, so you have an opportunity today to cast yourself upon the stone of Jesus, be broken and find healing. Oh, every breath we have is a gift. But all of your breaths are numbered and the numbers are getting less and less and less every breath you take. Let us not be like Judas. Today, hear the word of the Lord. Cast yourself upon the stone and be broken because that's where healing can come. Now, while God's gracious towards us, let us repent let us confess what we've done. Let us confess who we are and turn to him and find salvation. So we see the first path that we can follow is that of Satan. 
And those that are self-interested follow Satan. Second, let's jump down in the verse, and we're going to look at the next person in our um, passage today. Let's jump down to verse 36, and let's take a look at Peter. So verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, what I want us to see through the path that Peter's following is that the self-confident follow the flesh. The self-confident follow the flesh. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you, you say some kind of introductory comments about something that, that are important, but they're not super important. Then you go on to the conversation and then like you get to like the important stuff, like the stuff that you really needed to, to, to dive into in the conversation. And while you're having this conversation with someone, they, they miss all of the important things because they become super hyper-focused on something that you said in the beginning of the conversation. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Like I have this with my kids all the time, right? I'm like, you, we're gonna go get McDonald's if you, you do this and this and this and this and this. And then they're like, we're going to get McDonald's? All right, when do we go? No, 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 you misunderstand. Like, no, that comes later. Like you gotta do this other stuff first. This is kind of what's happening here, right? So Jesus, we skipped over the part, passage we're gonna get back to in verse 33. Jesus begins a conversation in chapter, verse 33, Jesus is talking about this time is going now that he's going to depart and where he's going, they cannot follow. And then Jesus dives deep into talking about love and talking about what he wants the disciples to do in his absence. Peter, like, didn't hear all that other stuff. Peter, Peter's like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why can't I go where you're going? Why, why can't I come? Where you are is where I want to be. Because remember, Peter wants to be in the presence of the Lord. Because we just heard, he said to, to Jesus just a few verses before, he says, well, then I need to be with you. I don't want to be away from you. So wash all of me, my head, my feet, my hands, all of me. Peter desperately desires to be in the presence of Jesus, which is a great desire. But he didn't understand he truly did not understand what was going on. So Peter totally neglects the love, the command to love, which we're going to see in just a moment. And he's basically telling Jesus, like, stop. Like, pump the brakes for a second. Like, I, you gotta, I, I gotta go with you. Wherever you I, I'm willing to die for you. I will give up my life just so that I can be where you are. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you still don't get it. He's like, will you lay down your life for me? Like, in, in a kind of assuming way, he's like, really? Really? You're really gonna lay down your life for me? No, Peter, you're so wrong. Like, before you even know it, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. You see, Peter was living a self-confident life. He was trusting in what he felt to be true, right? I truly believe he felt that. He really felt like he would be willing to give his life to follow Jesus and he'd go with him wherever he could. But we know that his feelings, and we'll see in a little bit, his actions did not match up. Peter truly did not want to give up his life 
for Jesus. At that time, he does later on. But in this time in his life, he's truly not. He's still so self-confident in his own abilities and what he can do and what he can bring to the table. And you know what we learn from Peter? You know the most dangerous phrase a follower of Jesus can say? You know what it is? I got this. You might, you might want to write that down in your notes. Don't ever say, like the most dangerous thing as a follower of Jesus you can say is, I got this. Right? Because the first, the, the, when those words come out of your mouth, guess what? It's the instant that you don't got it. Right? You do not have things under control the moment that you... So many times we overestimate our abilities. We overestimate our strength. And I can't tell you the number of times in my own life that I've said, no problem, I got this. And that it ends up winding, winding up to be big problems and big troubles, whether it comes along with home repairs or car repair. You know, there was this one time not too long ago um, I, I like to be kind of an independent man. I like to like change my own oil because that's what men do, right? If you do, I mean, if, that, that wasn't a statement about your manliness. I'm just, I'm just saying, I like to change my own oil, okay? And so uh, one time I was, I was, we had our Dodge journey and I'm underneath there. I'm like, okay, God and everything together. And, and I get to the oil um, pan thing, whatever it's called, bolt. <laughs> See, I'm really a man, man. What's that doohickey thingy? What's that thing called? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the oil pan drain. And so I get on there and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting it off and, and it's not budging. It's not budging at all. And so I'm like, okay, I got this. I got this. I said that to myself. I got this. And so I get after it again and I'm like, okay, I got to get a bigger wrench. I'm getting after it. Not happening. And the next thing I know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get the vice grips. This dude is coming off today. So I get those vice grips and I'm, I'm ranking on it, I'm yanking on it, I'm, and it's not going anywhere. And in essence, all I'm doing is I'm ripping the head down smaller and smaller and it's all rounded out. So I'm like, I got this. So I go to the store, watch some YouTube on the way. How do you get an oil pan plug off and all this other stuff? So I buy all of this equipment. I buy this like special head. You're supposed to hammer onto it and then you'll really get it off because it's supposed to bite into the sides of it and all that other stuff. So I get that and I'm underneath the car and I'm trying to do this and it's not coming. It's, it's not coming. And so what should have taken about 25, 30 minutes, I'm already given three and a half hours into this dude. But then I said, I got this. I got this. And so I continue after it, after it. And finally, after eight hours of trying to get this thing off, there's like nothing left. And so I'm like, okay, what if I just take the whole oil pan off and like get a new oil pan? And Sarah's like, no, no, that's ridiculous. She's like, take it to the shop. Oh. <laughs> I got this. No, you don't got it. So I take it to the shop and the, the guys at the shop work on it for about an hour. And they're like, hey, we don't got this. I'm like, oh, jeez. And so finally, after the third shop that I took it to, they're like, okay, we can get this. I have no idea how they got that thing off, but they got that thing off. They changed my oil. And all the amount of money that I had to spend and all the amount of time, I want to tell you, it wasn't worth it. You see, when we think that we got it, we don't. Oh, we're so good at overestimating our own abilities. When in reality, all we really need to do is bring our problems to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I don't got this. 
I'm going to make a mess of it. Would you help me? Would, would, would you help me? Because Jesus had to go the path that Jesus had to go that we couldn't, that Peter couldn't follow. Jesus had to go do the work in order so that Peter could follow. So there was a place for him to go because it wasn't secure yet. Right? His, his eternity wasn't secured because Jesus had to go to the cross and die. He had to go do the work. And so Peter could not follow him yet. He did not understand. Are there areas of your life today where you feel self-confident? Maybe it's not self-confidence. Maybe you call it control. Maybe that's what it is. Are you a control freak? Like, do you feel like you have to organize and have everything set and you give no space for Jesus? Maybe that's not really like a giftedness that God has given you, but maybe that's sin that has crept in. The best thing we can do when we come to those places of understanding, the best thing we can do is to surrender. Lastly, I want us to see the third way that we can follow is the God-centered follow Jesus. Look with me in verse 31. We're going back now. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's amazing about this is that Jesus is talking about what's getting ready to happen. He's talking about his ultimate glorification, right? That's the purpose. God God has created all things. He's given you and I breath so that he would be glorified, right? That's his end game. And his end game is that all creation is going to glorify him, whether they're going to be glorifying him in his grace and his mercy and his love, or they'll be glorifying him in their destruction. Because those that go to hell and receive eternal punishment are glorifying God because of his justice. Think about that for a minute. But then there are those that will be glorifying him in his presence because of his grace, mercy, and love. So what he's talking about here is, is, is the interplay between the, the relationship of God and the Son and all of that and his ultimate glorification. But that glorification of Jesus and the glorification of God cannot happen until Jesus goes through the cross. You see, in order to show love to the world, Jesus had to sacrifice his life. That is the essence of love. Love is not how does it make me feel. The essence of love is what can I do to better the other person. And this is exactly what Jesus did. 
Jesus knew that humanity could not be saved until he who was the pure spotless lamb, the man who had never sinned, until he went to a cross and on the cross endured the wrath of God because he took on the sin of the world. And through taking on the sin of the world, sin was punished in him and then Jesus died and Jesus was raised again. And by his being raised again and from that point goes to heaven where he is completely being glorified forever. But his glorification had to come through the cross, had to come through his surrender. It's through the work of Jesus we can be at peace with God, our sins can be forgiven, and through our faith in Christ, our hearts are changed So no longer do we live for ourselves. No longer do we follow Satan. No longer do we follow the things of this world, but we follow Christ. It's in the instant that we become a believer that we almost take on a new jersey. Right? We we join a new team where we are an active participant on that team that says, I belong to Jesus. I'm team Jesus all the way. And he goes on and he says, This is the most important thing. This new command that I give to you is that you love one another. This is simply it. Give of yourself freely. Sacrifice of yourself freely for the betterment of others. Give of your time. Give of your talents. Give of your treasures so that others may be blessed and be benefited. And then he goes on and says this. This is the clarifier. He says, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Okay, how's your love? What is how you love and what you love displaying who you're following? If we were to take a look at the things that you love, right? If we were to just lay them out before us, who is it that you love? Who are you following? See, Jesus is very clear here. You can't tell who follows Jesus by outward things. right? Love is not an outward thing. Love is an inward thing that fleshes itself outward. right? It does. Love does. Right? Love is directed towards the other person. And sometimes people can live their lives like giving their lives to the poor and giving this to that and that. That's not always love. Right? Because where it may be coming from is trying to fulfill something that's deficient in themselves, and so they're doing all these other things. You and I live different. We have everything that we need. We are, we are fully fulfilled humans because we have the love of Christ living inside of us and the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So we don't do things so that it fills a void inside of us. No, we do things because we have the love of Jesus inside of us. Does that make sense? So we're called to love We're called to give of our time, our talents and treasures for the benefits and the blessings of others. So how do others tell that you love Jesus? It's not by your Jesus tattoos. It's not by the cross that you wear around your neck. People are gonna know who you follow by how you love and what you love. So today, I just encourage you as we come to this time of just response and and close, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've just been living your own way, doing your own thing. I wanna encourage you today to repent. Turn from your sins, turn to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I need you to save me. And he will. Or maybe you're here today and you 
have been like Peter, that you, you have a relationship with the Lord, right? But you still try to do things your own way, that you're guilty of saying, I got this. The greatest thing we can do is confess. Just come to him again. Maybe, maybe it's over control or controlling this, and maybe you just need to confess that. Or maybe today, the confession that you need to make is that you haven't been very loving. Maybe you've been going through the motions of things and you, you know, do some things, but you do it half-heartedly and you do it not because you love, but you do it because you feel like you have to. Maybe there's a heart change that needs to take place. We'll encourage you as we sing this last song to use this time to take care of your business with the Lord. Right? Don't just sing the song and then go out and be like, oh, that was good today. Pastor said a good joke. Ah, oh, that was funny, funny. No, allow the word of the Lord to like marinate in your soul and move you to respond, right? Because that's what this is all about. This is why we're here. We're here because I want to, every Sunday, I want to leave this place changed because I am a dirty, rotten sinner that does a whole, a whole mess of things wrong every single week. And I come here every single Sunday and I'm reminded that God still loves me. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I know he does. And he still loves me and he still wants to use me. And you need to hear today, God loves you and he wants to use you. He's not left you here alone. So let us respond through confession. Let us respond through just bringing our hearts to the Lord today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you that in some ways we've been like Judas in our lives. We've been so focused on ourselves that we haven't really understood who you were. And so, Father, if there's someone here in the, this place that hasn't come to that place yet, would you move them to surrender? Or, Father, we may be like Peter today and that we're trying to do things all on our own and in our own strength, in our own abilities. And really what we need to do is just to stop and once again lay it at your feet. May that be our response today. But Father, you also call us from the place of being loved by you, call us to love. And that's work. That takes effort. That takes intentionality. That takes being purposeful. It takes being proactive. And Father, maybe we just need to confess today that we have stopped being that way. And we've kind of shrunk back into the darkness and we're just like, let the world burn all around us. And if that's our heart, Father, would you, would you move us to have compassion once again? Father, the world knows we are your disciples by how we love. May we be marked with love. May we love those that think different than us. May we love those that live different than us. May we love those who hate us. Father, today we pray that you move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.